Um, we are, are in the midst of a season called Advent. Advent is a time of, uh, it, the word means coming. Like, and so the church spends some time at the, at the end of each year reflecting on the first coming, the first advent of Jesus into the world. But we would be remiss to say this, it's only about the first coming. No, it is not. Advent is also about the second coming of Jesus. It's about an advent. Just like January, the word Janus is a time of looking back and looking forward. So is this season for us. We look back at the first advent, but we also look forward to the second advent. And for, the, for this church, what we have decided to do is take the candles to my right, your left, and consider the five different themes of these candles. Hope, peace, joy, love, and the Christ candle. And reflect on what each of these candles signifies. Last week we spent time on hope. This week we're going to spend time on peace. And we're going to look at the peace that our Lord and Savior Jesus has brought to us. There are two sermon texts we'll be looking at. You have a phone. Let me encourage you to do that, to look at those two texts. If you don't have one, that's okay. Just listen. They're not long texts today. The first reading will come from John 14, verse 27. These are the words of Jesus that he told to his disciples. This is what he said. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Now from the words, or from the epistle to the Ephesian church, from the Apostle Paul, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 16. Here's what Paul said. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you are at the time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. There are three simple questions that I'm going to ask today. And you might be going, three, there's only two in my bulletin. That's fine. We're going to look at three. I have the liberty of, of adding things if I want after the bulletin is made. And that's what I did today. I thought it needed to be done. So here are the three questions. You've got the first two on your bulletin. I'm going to add the third. But the three questions is this. What is the peace of Jesus? How does Jesus give peace? And does Jesus' peace really make a difference? Three questions. What is the peace of Jesus? How does Jesus give his peace? And does Jesus' peace really make a difference? In answering these three questions this morning, I, I want to compel you to appreciate what we go through here at Advent season. That you would ultimately revel and rejoice in the light that has come into the darkness and has pushed it away. But that you also reflect that that light is coming back in the midst of our darkness and will forever push it away. That it wouldn't be just something that you revel and rejoice in, but that you hope in as well. This is not a season to go through the motions, as is often the case. It's a season for us to reflect, rejoice, and to hope in. So let us study the peace of Jesus. Three questions. What is the peace of Jesus? How does Jesus give the peace? And does it make 
a difference. First question, what is the peace of Jesus? Consider what Jesus said in verse 27 of John 14. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Now the word for peace that is used in this verse comes from the Greek word irene. It's a word in the Greek language that simply conveys a lack of war. But Jesus was a Jew, and he didn't speak Greek. He spoke probably Aramaic and perhaps Hebrew. And this word irene, if you were translated back into Jesus' native tongue, actually becomes the word shalom. The Hebrew word for peace. And shalom means more than just a lack of war. Shalom has a rich meaning and depth that the Greek word irene fails to convey. Consider the ways that some scholars have spoken about the word shalom. J.I. Durham says this, Shalom is a comprehensive kind of fulfillment or completion. Indeed, of a perfection in life and spirit, which transcends any success which man alone, even under the best circumstances, is able to obtain. D.A. Carson said it this way, It is a peace that secures composure in the midst of trouble and dissolves fear. It is a peace which garrisons our hearts and minds against the invasion of anxiety and rules or arbitrates in the hearts of God's people to maintain harmony against them. If I may be so bold to add my voice to these scholars, here's what I would say to you. Shalom is a peace that extends vertically, horizontally, and internally. It is a peace with God, vertically. It is a peace with one another, horizontally. And it is a peace within our heart. This is the peace, the shalom, that Jesus is referring to. When Jesus says, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. This is the peace he's offering to us. After winning his third Super Bowl in 2005, Tom Brady sat down with Steve Croft of 60 Minutes. In this conversation, the greatest football player perhaps who's ever lived, and I think he is, humbly revealed his soul to the watching world when he said this, Steve, I make more money now than I ever thought I could make playing football. But... But why do I have three Super Bowl rings, and now he has six, and still think there's something greater out there for me? I, I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is it. This is what it is. I've reached my goal. I've reached my dream, my life. But me? Man, it's got to be more than this. I mean, this can't be what it's cracked up to be. I mean, I've done it. I'm 27. What else is there for me? And Steve Croft, in response to Tom Brady's humble soul, said this. What's the answer? And Brady said, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. I mean, I think that's part of me trying to go out and experience other things. I love playing football, and I love being a quarterback for this team. But at the same time, I think there's a lot of other parts of me that I'm trying to find. I think we can all relate to Tom Brady in some form or fashion. Maybe we, well, no one in here has won a Super Bowl, okay, let's just be honest. And I don't think any of you have made as much money as Tom Brady, okay? But I think we can relate to the angst that he has. We can relate to the inner chaos that exists in Tom's heart and in our hearts. This is the longing for shalom. Peace that garrisons our hearts and minds against the invasion of anxiety. Peace that is a perfection in life and spirit which transcends any success you are able to, to attain. 
peace with God, peace with others, peace within yourselves. It's what Tom wants, and it's what you want as well. And it's exactly what Jesus gives. Shalom. What is the peace that Jesus gives? Shalom. Jesus leaves us with his peace. And you can continue to think that the resolution to your inner turmoil is found in the world. You can, you can do that. You can think, I need to make more money. I need to be more successful. But just listen to Tom Brady. There is nothing there. Why don't you consider the peace of Jesus? Consider this shalom. This is the peace we long for. A peace that satisfies. This is the peace that Jesus gives. Second question. How does Jesus give it? What is the peace? How does Jesus give it? Consider Jesus' words. It's really simple. He says this in John 14, 27. Not as the world gives, do I give it to you. In other words, the way I give my peace, my shalom... The peace we all desperately long for, it's radically different than the way that you typically get things, than the way that the world works. Now, I think it's really important for us to consider the time period that Jesus told this. This is, of course, the first century, roughly 30 AD. And during this time, there was a really famous uh, peace pact that existed in the world. It was called the Pax Romana. This is a Latin phrase which means the peace of Rome. The Pact Romana was established in 27 BC, and it was famously created for the whole, whole, the, the, the whole Roman Empire, and it was established at the, the hands of the Roman army. I mean, if you were to upset the peace in one of Roman's, Rome's provinces, wherever that might have been, the Roman army would have come rolling into town to stop the insurrection and to establish peace. I mean, this is what the Jews knew in Jesus' day. Recall the, the, the high priest and his appeal to Pilate just prior to Jesus' crucifixion. What did, the, what did the high priest claim before Pilate, who was a Roman governor? What did they say? This man claims to be who? The king of the Jews. Now, why would they come to the, to the, the Roman governor with this claim that Jesus is the king of the Jews? It's because he was using the Pax Romana against Jesus. Here's a person who's claiming to put himself as the king of a Roman province. What are you going to do about that, Pilate? See, they were using the Pax Romana against him. And they were hoping that the might of the sword and, and, and the, 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 the disobedience to that sword would be met by the sword. Rome in the world gives peace through obedience. That's the answer. If you obey, you will not experience the sword. If you disobey, you will get the sword. This is how peace is given according to the world. If you align with us, you'll have peace. But Jesus says this. Not as the world gives do I give it. What does Jesus mean by this? If the world gives peace through obedience and obedience to this Pax Romana, how does Jesus give his peace? He gives his peace through grace. It is a peace that is freely given. It is a peace that is not dependent on obedience, but simply on faith. It is a peace that's not dependent on your obedience. How does Jesus give his peace? He gives it freely. And the question is, 
Will you freely take it? As you walk in the door of this church, you'll see the sign, Be Loved and Love. This is a phrase that captures the mission of this church. But I'm here to tell you that the first part of that mission statement is the hardest part of that mission statement. To be loved. And the reason it's difficult is this. We think we have to manufacture a life to be loved. That we have to do something. We have to look a certain way. We have to do a certain thing to, or in order to be loved. We cannot conjure in our mind receiving by grace nothing that you have done. Nothing. We can't do that. It doesn't compute with our mind. We want to, we want to manufacture it. But Jesus is like, no, that's not how it works in my, my family. I love you because I love you. The peace that I give you is not because you've been obedient to my law and to my ways. That's not the way I give it. I give it by grace. The world gives it by obedience. I give it by grace. Do you know that? And you must be able to sit in that discomfort that the very peace, the thing that we long for, the thing that will satisfy our hearts is freely given by grace. So three questions. What is the peace of Jesus? How does Jesus get peace? And lastly, does the peace of Jesus really make a difference? I mean, if Jesus gives us this incredible peace and he gives it to us by grace and he gives it to us freely, does it really make a difference? Well, consider the words of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2. He says this in verse 14. I'm not going to read 11 through 13 again. But he says this in verse 14 of Ephesians chapter 2. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace. And might reconcile us both to God and one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. What I want you to see in Ephesians chapter 2 is that Paul ties the peace that Jesus freely gives to the cross that Pilate put him on. Jesus' peace, Paul says, really makes a difference because Jesus went to the cross and secured the peace that affects every aspect of our life. Indeed, in one of the most strange ironies in all scripture Pilate who didn't think Jesus to be all that a threat to the Pax Romana ends up putting Jesus on the cross and he allowed Jesus to be crushed on the cross and yet scripture says this is the very moment that brings the peace or the shalom of Jesus that makes all the difference Jesus gives his peace through the cross and this one act brings the shalom that Jesus gives and it makes the difference for every aspect of our lives. The peace Jesus gives, indeed, the shalom of Jesus affects everything about us. It affects our vertical relationship, our horizontal relationships, and our internal relationship with ourselves. The cross does this. Now, how does this do this? How do we have peace with God through the cross? Vertically. How is our vertical relationship with God and having peace with Him affected by the cross? Well, we have to see as Christians that Jesus' moment on the cross is a significant aspect in our relationship with God personally. You see, we as Christians claim that Jesus to be without sin. And because he was without sin, did not deserve the death that he died. 
yet he died a death. Why? He went in as a sacrifice. And he went to pay the sacrifice for those whom he loved. And he gave his life as a ransom for many. Jesus died a sinner's death, though he didn't deserve it. So that sinners, you and me, might have payment for our sin. Might have the ability to have peace with God. What is it that affects our, our, our relationship with God? Our peace with God. It is our sin. But you see, in Jesus, the payment for our sin is made. Therefore, making it possible to have peace with God. You see, Jesus is our peace, and we have that peace through the cross. Our vertical relationship with God is restored through Jesus. We can have peace with God through Jesus. This is what Paul says in, in Ephesians 2. Our vertical relationship is restored through the cross. But also in Ephesians 2, he says we can have our horizontal relationship restored. Indeed, our horizontal relationships are restored. There is no pecking order in the Christian faith. All are on level ground. You see, one of the things that we have in our life is this angst from someone getting something that we thought we deserved. And we think that we're better. And the angst and the, and the, the peacelessness, if, for lack of a better word, is real in our life. How'd they get that? Why do they deserve that? And there's this pecking order. And, there's a, and it's like, what? And this existed in, in, in the church too. I mean, the early church dealt with Jews and Gentiles and how to deal with that. And Paul says, look, in the cross, in the cross, all that is taken care of. There is no more pecking order. There is a phrase that exists in the church, and I think it's good. At the feet of the cross, the ground is level. There is no pecking order. And since there's no more pecking order, since all of us have been made one in Christ, forgiven, well, we can relate to one another without fear of pecking order. You see, in Jesus, the horizontal, this shalom that we can experience is real. And if the vertical is taken care of through the cross, the horizontal is taken care of through the cross, what does that mean about internal? Well, the internal gets taken care of as well. Because I think most of us, in our internal anxiety, and the internal peacelessness that we experience is driven by those two realities, vertically and horizontally. But if those are taken care of, then we can have peace. So the question is, does peace make a difference? Absolutely. And it makes a difference in every aspect of your life. You know who Kelsey Grammer is? Kelsey Grammer starred in the television show Frasier, and it's been... Uh, it's, it's going again, actually. But, but, but Kelsey Grammer played Chuck Smith in the movie Jesus Revolution. Chuck Smith was the founder of Calvary Chapel, and he was a, it was a story about this struggling pastor who in, ends up embracing the hippie movement. And he formed a relationship with Lonnie Frisbee, and this beautiful Jesus movement began in the 60s and 70s. So Kelsey Grammer played Chuck Smith, this square pastor who ends up hanging out with hippies and his life was forever changed. And Kelsey Grammer and Jesus Revolution was so impacted by this square Chuck Smith that he started to think there's something about this Jesus character. And, and his wife and him, as they watched this movie, once it was produced and set up and all that stuff, his wife with tears said, this is the best you've ever done on screen. 
And Kelsey Grammer was deeply impacted by, by this man and being able to play him on screen. And because of that, his life has changed. He said this in response to reflecting on his time acting as Chuck Smith. He says, look, I've had hiccups. I've had some tragic times. I've wrestled with those and worked my way through them, sometimes rejecting faith, sometimes rejecting God even, in a period of being angry about it. Like, where were you? That kind of thing, he said. But here's the thing. I have now come to terms with it, and I have found great peace in my faith and in Jesus. You see, when he came and interacted with, the, with, with Jesus, he experienced shalom. And he knew that it affected his relationship with God, with others, and within himself. And it made a difference in his life. Friends in church, it can make a difference in yours. As we reflect on this peace candle, oh, that you would know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that Jesus gives you a peace. And you, my friends, and rest in that peace all the days of your life. Amen. Let me pray. Jesus, it is fitting for us to praise you. You have indeed secured a peace that our hearts desperately long for. When we consider these things, we can indeed with great imagination see that this is a light in the midst of darkness. Many of us in here experience anxiety and difficulties, doubt about whether we stand with you in good order, frustrated about this horizontal and whether this, uh, we're good with our name. We can experience this anxiety, but when we reflect that you give us this peace, not as the world gives it, we reflect on this freely given and gracious peace, we can have a new peace in our hearts. And we give thanks to you for that peace. Oh, Lord, may we continue to marvel in this peace that you have given to us freely. That we might know and worship you, reflecting and rejoicing in you all the days of our life. Amen.